Nicely done, Beef. When football fans everywhere cheer for their team, they're cheering for you too, because your savory snacks fuel the gridiron battle. With your tasty sliders, hearty chilies, and drool-worthy steaks, every option is an MVP. Most valuable protein. So gather around the TV and get cooking at beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Well, it's Friday again, and we are back in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Starkville, Mississippi. Charlie Winfield, Bart Gregory here for our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. Look into this ball game. Game number eight for Mississippi State. Kentucky coming to town. Bulldogs trying to inch a step closer to becoming bowl eligible. Bart, we've had some nice days in downtown Starkville. Every day's nice in downtown Starkville. This one, though, the weather not is pretty starting to look a lot like fall. I'll tell you what, I went to a high school football game last night and nearly froze to death, Charlie. The wind is relentless, a little chilly outside, a little misting rain. feels like fall. Well, it feels like winter today. feels like a February day when you're getting ready to play baseball. That's what it feels <laughs> That's like today. exactly what it feels like. Nice breeze outside coming out of the north. Yeah, it's, it's a baseball spring day today. And this is one back in the old days we'd have wanted the windows closed, but now in the broadcast booth, it doesn't matter how cold it is, those windows are open. Yep, we have no ability to tell them to shut it. It's a bring a quilt kind of day. So <laughs> And a heater. Well, we're back in the Farm Bureau studios. As we said, we're looking at this Kentucky game. Bart, this is arguably the biggest game of the season. I get it. You got the Egg Bowl. I get it. All these other things that we've done. But I suppose the next one's always the biggest. But this is a pivot game. You know, we talked to Jeff Pecora the other day on our Out of Left Field show on Wednesday, and he's the color analyst for Kentucky, and he said it perfectly. This is the game when the schedule comes out every single year that both fan bases, both coaching staffs, both football teams feel like they can win. And they also feel like if you can win this pivot game, you have a chance to have a good schedule and a good record for the rest of the year. You look at Kentucky this year, and we talked about it the other day. If Kentucky wins this game, they go back home against Tennessee. Their only other road game this year that will be tough will be at Louisville. They think if they win this game tomorrow, they got a chance to go 11-1. and Now, conversely, for us – if we win this game, and then you have Tennessee State later on in the year, you know it really solidifies your chances of going to a bowl. That's the big thing here. And so when you start looking at the four remaining SEC games, this is the one that kind of stands out to you because it is so big. And I know it's right in front of you. And it's hard to believe that Kentucky is ranked in the top 15 in the country. If we can pull this off, this will be the third win we have this year against the team top 15. Yeah, so this ball game, important. Bart, you know, we always start off this show with our opening statements. I had a lengthy statement a minute ago. That it probably was, could have been an opening statement. I apologize. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it right back to you. Trying you to, know, if there's, I'm if trying there's to filibuster th- you. I'm going to filibuster you today. Well, I wish you wouldn't do that, Bart. I'm heavy on content, not filibuster. So I want to hear some substance out of you, Bart. So lay it on me. Okay. And this is the ninth year for Mark Stoops at the University of Kentucky. And in those eight previous seasons, he is five and six coming off a bye week. I always like to see what teams are like coming off a bye because, to be quite honest with you, Charlie, you've been around programs. There are some coaches and some coaching staffs that are just better and some are worse 
coming off a bye week. We saw with Joe Moorhead. We saw with Dan Mullen sometimes where you kind of sleepwalk coming out of bye weeks. And so I wanted to see how Mark Stoops is after a bye. He's had 11 games. They played two games coming off byes in 13, 14, and 19. So he's played 11 games. He's 5 and 6. So you say, okay, you really can't tell a whole lot about that because he's 5-6. and six. You say, okay, you really can't tell any kind of trend there. But Mississippi State, when we play Kentucky tomorrow, this will be the fourth time we have played Mark Stoops in those 12. Four out of 12 have come against Mississippi State. So you're saying that he has had a bye week four times coming into playing us. Coming into playing us, he has won one, and that was in 2016 at home and that's when Austin McGinnis hit the 51-yard field goal and beat us 40-38. to 38. Okay, so let's dive in a little bit further. His five wins. Three have come versus Vanderbilt. One against Arkansas in Chad Morris's last year, and then one against Mississippi State. Look at the three wins against Vanderbilt. 2014, they won 17-7. to 7. 2018, they won 14-7. to 7. 2020, they won 38-35. to 35. Biggest win was 10 points, 2014. They beat Arkansas in 2019, 24-20. Arkansas was wretched. And then they beat us in 2016 when we were not any good either. It took a 51-yard field goal. I tell you this, Charlie. He's 5-6, and six, but the five wins that he has coming out of buys, Kentucky has been lethargic in all five of those wins. This has not been a Kentucky program, even though they're 5-6 and six in their last eight years coming off buys. They have not played well coming off buys. So I think back to what they used to say, never give Lou Holtz an extra week to prepare for somebody, that if you gave him an off date, you were in a lot of trouble. What you're saying is Mark Stoops is no Lou Holtz when it comes to that. Well, it's not about the X's and O's, and I think some coaches are just different when you get them off their routine. They don't know how to get guys to come back. After the guys go back home, how do you get them back settled down and ready to play? That's the whole thing there. We did not look good against Alabama a couple weeks ago. We looked okay in the first half. That was off our bye week. So there's still a lot out there about how Mike Leach coach teams will be coming off byes. But I'm saying anytime you break up routine with certain coaches and coaching staffs, sometimes different staffs have a tough time reining the guys back and getting them locked in for a game. All right. So that's uh, your kind of opening look at this ball game. We'll take this. Chance to remind you, by the way, that we are in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau agents in all 82 counties in the state of Mississippi providing that great customer service. They've been along with us through baseball, now football, and Farm Bureau appreciates so much what those guys have done for us. If you need insurance, go to favorites.com. They've got good rates, and they've got better service, so check them out. So, Bart, you've had your opening look at this ball game. I'll tell you mine. This ball game looks to me... A lot like the ball games that were played between Mississippi State and Kentucky in the late 1990s, where you have a team that likes to throw the ball, where you have a team that's really good defensively, only it's backwards. In the late 90s, Kentucky had Tim Couch, and they were coming in and throwing the football, and we were struggling to beat them. And in fact, went up to Kentucky and lost to them. This year, though, it's the opposite, right? We no longer are the great defensive team that we were with your Joe Lee Dunn and under Jackie Sherrill. We're the team trying to throw it around. And so it's going to be a little bit of a turnaround for us. It really is. What's the constant and all that? Mike Leach. Yeah, so they had him. Now we've got him. And it worked some, didn't work some others up there. We'll see if it works some here tomorrow at Mississippi State. You talked about Stoops and the job he's done coaching. How about this? 
He started 12 and 26, but since that time, he is 43 and 25. So he's gone over 500 as a head coach at Kentucky, and he's really had, they've had some patience. He's built a program, but they have built it in an old school kind of way. Tomorrow, you're going to see Kentucky playing a defense that is either a 3 4 or a 3 3 5, very similar to Mississippi State in the old days. You're going to see kind of a multiple pro style offense. And you're going to see a game where potentially the top draft pick for each team is an offensive lineman, where Charles Cross for Mississippi State and then Darian Kynard for Kentucky, two guys who have a chance to be first-round picks, arguably the best players on their teams. This ball game, despite all the talk of air raid, despite all the talk of Kentucky and their 6-1 and one record coming in, feels a lot like an old-school football game to me. How's that going to come out? I go back to this, and a lot of people don't think about this when you start talking about the air raid. I think this is going to be a game that's going to be one, believe it or not, in the trenches. I think for Mississippi State, offensive line play tomorrow is going to be key, and the bottom line is this. Kentucky's defense has been exceptional this year. They've only allowed 30 points one time. That was against Georgia last time out. For Mississippi State, you're going to have to recapture some of that old-school defensive magic if you're going to win this game. Kentucky is 6-1. and one. They played five games at home. They played two games on the road. They beat South Carolina 16-10 to 10 on the road. They lost to Georgia 30-13 to 13 on the road. They have not played well at all on the road this year. And so that kind of leads me into my three numbers in our three-number segment, Charlie. And I am not going to take the reins like I did last week. I'll let you kind of intro what we're going to do. All right. So, well, thank you, Bart, for staying in the passenger seat for a little while today. This is our 3-2-1 segment brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Trax Plus, if you like the ability to go out and to take a tree and turn it into twigs in no time, you're going to love the guys at Trax Plus. I've been absolutely blown away by what forestry equipment means today. You know, Bart, when I think forestry, I always thought about, like, guys with chainsaws. When I thought mulching, I thought about these little things you pull behind a truck and you run some twigs through there. These machines are either a thing of beauty or the thing of nightmares and maybe both. Yeah, like something out of a Stephen King novel. You could dispose of a lot of evidence with one of these. Now, we're not... We're not advocating that. Or if you want to bury it, use a sany excavator. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, if, you don't want to, if you want to bury the evidence. And I'll tell you what, here's the thing about Trax Plus. If you're in the market for used equipment, new equipment, Barco with the forestry, sany equipment with excavators and dirt-moving construction equipment, Daniel Bounds in Columbus, Fred Fulton's over there as well in Columbus, King Crosby in Hickory, Gresh Howell down in Summit, Mississippi, and Hoop Weems over in Alexandria, Louisiana. That's our good friends at Trax Plus. All right, so we are at our 3-2-1 segment. Bart, you've got three numbers, and everybody remembers the deal here. We give you three numbers each that we think will matter. Then we're going to each talk about two opposing players and then get into one coach. So, Bart, your three numbers. All right, I had a lengthy diatribe early, so that means I'll go quickly here right now. My first number is 10. And, Charlie, it seems like every week now I'm talking about missed tackles. I talked two weeks ago about how you can't have missed tackles in the secondary. Today it's all about overall missed tackles. Ten missed tackles is all we need to have this week because how do teams come in and upset you at home? And I know Kentucky's a favorite by, what, one and a half. But breaking tackles, making small plays into big plays, we only had three missed tackles last week against Vanderbilt. 
Bama, we had 12. A&M, we had 14. But sometimes you just play better with more confidence when you think and you know that you're better. Kentucky is not that great. They're okay at wide receiver, but they are not overwhelming at wide receiver. You have got to tackle in the secondary, and you're going to have to tackle Rodriguez at the line of scrimmage. You talk about that front seven for State. So 10 missed tackles in the game, that's my first number. My second number is three, and we need three lengthy drives of at least eight plays in the first half. All right, hang on. I got I got to interrupt you here. Because a lot of times we're getting together, and what I'm hearing is we need 8, 9, 10 explosive plays. What you're asking for now is the opposite of explosive plays. Yeah, because I think we are what we are. We're seven games deep in the season. We're not a big play team. So, okay, I'm going to adapt my numbers. And the reason I'm going to adapt my numbers You're not going to be stubborn with your analysis, right? Absolutely. We are what we are, and so we, we play better with lengthy drives. Also, this is the type of game. In the first half, I said lengthy drives in the first half. Scoring drives in the first half. And the reason I say that is this. Kentucky is going to play more ball control. I'll talk about that in just a few minutes with my player. They have turned into more of a ball control team in their passing game. This is a Kentucky team that likes to chew up clock as well. And the last thing you want in this game is Rodriguez in the fourth quarter for Kentucky and your defense to be dog-tired. It's one thing to be tired. It's another thing to be whipped down tired. And so we have to stay on the field in the first half. Not only scoring points, we have to keep our defense off the field in the first half because Kentucky, with their ball control and a good hard running back late, you can't be worn out late in the second half. All right, so that's your... Second, no, I didn't see that one coming. I thought you were going to be telling me we needed big plays, and what you're saying is we're just going to embrace who we are and we're going to control the football, keep their defense out on the field. I'm not being hard-headed. I'm willing to change my thought process, and so which is very surprising to you. Is I that know. a shot? No, it's okay. Wouldn't shot anybody, right? No. no. My last number is one, okay? We can't have more than one field goal when we get into the red zone, okay? Mm, stalling drives. Anytime we kick a field goal tomorrow in the red zone, in Kentucky's red zone, it is a win for Kentucky. You look against NC State, we had the ball twice in the red zone. We scored one touchdown. We had one field goal. You look against LSU, we had four red zone opportunities. We had two field goal attempts in that game. You look at Alabama, we had two red zone attempts. Both of those were field goal attempts. This is not the game where you can get inside the 20-yard line. And I'm not talking about stalling and not being successful in the red zone. This is not the game that field goals win. This is not the game where you get bogged down in the red zone and have to settle for a field goal. We can only have one field goal when we get inside of Kentucky's red zone. All right, so that's a look at your three numbers. And again, those three numbers were? Ten missed tackles, three lengthy drives of at least eight plays in the first half and then one field goal when we get in the red zone. All right, so I'll give you my three numbers today. My first number is 130. All right. And that is the number of rushing yards that we must limit Kentucky to as a team. And you say, why 130? Look, at the end of the day, Kentucky, again, think a mirror image, the 180-degree opposite of what you saw on Scott Field in the late 90s. That's Kentucky is what we used to be. We're what they used to be. Kentucky, very good defensive team. And on offense, they like to control the football, and they like to run it. Where have they gotten in trouble? 
Kentucky didn't play well against Chattanooga. They struggled to win that game earlier this year, held 102 yards rushing on 27 carries. Kentucky, in their one loss, they go to Georgia, held 51 yards on 27 carries. Then you start to look at their wins against Missouri, 340. LSU, Kentucky had 330 rushing yards. They had 230 against South Carolina. But where's that game that was kind of on the razor's edge? Florida, 30 carries for 137 yards. Somewhere below that is where you have to hold them. We have to keep Kentucky. What do they want to do? They want to hold the football. You talk about us wanting long drives, they want long drives. We got to hold them in the range of 130 yards to have a good chance to win this football game. I agree with that wholeheartedly. They have changed their approach completely in the last three weeks. And I go back to my original statement a moment ago, Charlie, about how you look at this team and how they have played on the road. But they've got a five-point win against Chattanooga, a six-point win against a wretched South Carolina team. They lost against Georgia, who everybody's lost to. They beat Florida when Florida really outplayed them, with the exception of a block field goal. This is a 6-1 and one team that has been very fortunate, has been very fortunate. And they're going to try to come in here and establish the run and control the clock. Go back to 1999. I keep harping on the late 90s. We won a lot of games at the end, just kind of barely, sort of, where we hung around, controlled the clock, played good defense. That's the model. So how do you break down that model? Take away what they like to do on offense. you got to stop something. Stop the run. Hold them to less than 130 yards. My second number is 23. The winner of this ball game tomorrow, I predict, Bart, will hold its opponent to 23 or fewer points in this ball game. This Kentucky defense is stingy. Say what you will, even in the ball games where they haven't played well, save for Georgia, defense isn't the problem. It's can they score points. Only one team all year has scored 30 points on them. That was Georgia. Now, is Georgia an elite offense? No, no, but look, Georgia's a really good football team, and they got a lot of chances on offense because their defense kept getting the football back for them. Kentucky's defense is among the better defenses within the Southeastern Conference. And you say, well, what does that mean? You give me a stat defensively, and Kentucky's right there. Do you want to measure defense by yards allowed? They're third, just behind Georgia and Alabama. Do you want to measure it in terms of points? They're third. This team allows less than 20 points a game on average. This is a good defensive team. We are not going to be able to put up a ton of points. But you know what? We're a good defensive team. I don't think they're going to put up a ton of points on us. Somebody's going to have to hold somebody under 23. That's how you're going to win this game. I'm down with that. Yeah, I don't I don't think this is going to be a 38-35 game. I don't think we're going to have the 40 to 38 that we had in 2016. And I go back to that point about there is enough points in there where you've got to score touchdowns. You can't settle for field goals in this game. And my final number is 1. That's the number of completions on balls that are in the air for more than 20 yards downfield that I think we can allow tomorrow and still win this game. And why do I say that? Tomorrow is a day where the entire game really could break on one or two little issues. It could break on a big play. It could break on a punt return. Thank goodness Derek Abney's not still around. Yes. He had two of those in, in one, one game. game against us for touchdowns. Don't punt it to him. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. But so you look at Will Levis. Think how many times we as Mississippi State fans have sat around this year and said, 
Throw it down the field. Throw it down the field. We got to throw it down the field. Kentucky's fans might have said that, but I guarantee you if they look at the numbers now, they're saying, okay, maybe let's back off there. Uh, We're good not throwing it down the field because what is Levis? How about this? Your post routes, balls deep middle. Between the hashes, down the football field, he is 3 of 14. 3 of 14. On balls that have gone over 20 yards downfield, he is 9 of 26. This is a guy who is not a proficient deep passer. That being said, if he is able to complete one or two of those, it's one of those things that flips the script. What is the thing that analytics guys, Bart, when something unusual happens, it messes things up. When something, if you're sitting there with basketball and you say, all right, we've got to do all these things, what you don't count on is some guy banking it in from half court right before the half. It changes the whole model. We can't have Will Levis, the quarterback for Kentucky, bank one in from 50 feet, right? We cannot have him connect long. I'm going to give him one, but we can't give him more than that because if they do, that's them getting something that they do not normally get, and it tilts the advantage in their favor. It's like Kendall Graven throwing a 3-1 changeup. The other day, we talked about that, talking about analytics with Shaw at the plate and the ALCS. He wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready for the changeup. And it's not about Kentucky doing something that you're not ready for. It's about Kentucky doing something that they don't normally do and can't normally do. Yeah, and they, they just haven't been that good at it. So don't let them stumble into something tomorrow. So my three numbers, 130 rushing yards, hold them below that. You have a significantly better chance of winning. 23, the number of points that the winning team will have held its opponent two or fewer, and one, the number of completions more than 20 yards downfield we can allow Kentucky to have tomorrow. Again, they aren't good at it. We can't let them find their rhythm in that category tomorrow. And we are in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Starkville. Farm Bureau go with the home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. I was at a ball game last night and I saw Michael Vig. He is the agency director for Farm Bureau down in Neshoba County. He was working a concession stand last night. These are guys that are part of your community, a part of your hometown. And if you have anything that goes wrong where you need your insurance agent, I go back to the point. If I'd had a problem last night with my insurance, if I'd had a fender bender in the parking lot at the football game, I'd have had my guy right there. I could have ordered a Diet Coke and says, hey, I need to talk to you tomorrow about my insurance because those are the guys that are with you every single day. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. All right, so we've taken a look at our three numbers. Now it's time to take a look at our two players This is where we talk about two opposing players that you want to keep an eye out for tomorrow. And my first one is number seven, the quarterback, Will Levis. He's a transfer from Penn State. Worked out better for them. Yeah, he's a little bit – it's been okay for him. And he's been a kind of a different style. We talked about this a moment ago, early in the season versus the last four games. When you look at – Will Levis, early in the year against Louisiana Monroe, they were throwing the ball deeper down the field. The average depth of target in their first three games, 12.6, 11.1, then 12.2. It was almost like that Chattanooga game where they had to come from behind and win was that wake-up moment for Kentucky to change their offense a little bit. You look at average depth of target against South Carolina in week four, 3.4. You look against Georgia on the road, 4.2. What does that tell me is they do not want to put him in situations on the road to make mistakes. 
He has not had a big-time throw, quote-unquote big-time throw, in either one of those games. He's had one turnover-worthy play where he kind of throws it up for grabs. That was against South Carolina. None last week. Charlie, Kentucky threw 14 screens against Georgia last week. 14 screens last week. But here's where Will Levis has been really good. And here's where if I'm a Kentucky analyst getting ready for this game, his best area of the field is exactly where Bryce Young has his best area. 10 to 20 yards down the field in between the numbers. Those numbers for Kentucky and Will Levis, he's 15 of 22, completes 68% of his balls for two touchdowns in the middle of the field, 10 to 20 yards down the field. What's the old adage? We're going to run to set up the pass, set up the play action. I would not be surprised at all tomorrow to see Kentucky pass to set up the run, to try to get our linebackers out of the box, backing up to the middle of the field, and that way they can run Rodriguez. I'm a little surprised you didn't mention his ability to run the football. Does that scare you tomorrow? He's got 175 yards rushing this year. Again, that's not a ton on 50 carries. But you factor out sacks. I mean, this is a guy who's a capable runner. He's capable. He's a capable runner. He's better than Johnson at LSU. He's better than Mike Wright. I don't know if he's good as Bryce Young. I'm you know, Bryce better than Vanderbilt quarterback. Well, that's a little backhand right there. Isn't Bryce it? Young doesn't like to run, but he's a pretty good runner. And so yeah, that's that's one of the things that does bother you just a little bit is adding that third dimension in there, especially scrambling for first downs. All right, so that's a look at your first player. All right, and so my second guys, and I want to say two guys, all right, I'm taking two. I hate to take two, but I'm taking two. I'm really taking a position. And the position I'm going to take is the nose guard position. Justin Rogers and Marquez McCall, those are two guys down in the defensive line. Now, Octavius Oxidine, they lost him for the season a couple weeks ago, and he was really good in the middle at creating pressures. But he had a leg injury. He's gone the rest of the way, and now all of a sudden Kentucky relying a lot on McCall and Rogers in the middle. They've got a great pass rusher on the outside in Pascal. And so what are you going to have to do tomorrow? You're going to have to step up in the pocket. When Kentucky got pressure on us last year and forced us to throw some interceptions, and you watch some of those highlights, they were getting pressure up the middle. And so you had no pocket to step into, and you were throwing it off your back leg and throwing it running and left and right, whatever. You can't have any pressure up the middle. So you have to look at that nose guard position tomorrow and how your guards and your center allow you to have a pocket to step up into, and I think that's going to be a big key in the game. All right, so that's a look at your two players in the ballgame. I'll give you mine. The first, I talked about offensive line play a moment ago. This is the right tackle, Darian Kennard for Kentucky. This guy's a monster, 6'5", 338. He is big. He is talented. He moves exceptionally well for a big guy. In fact, if he has any issue blocking downfield on running plays, it's that he's so quick, he sometimes outruns his angles a little bit. I mean, this guy is good an offensive lineman as we'll face all year. Nobody ever goes to the game and says, boy, I really want to watch someone block. But what I'm telling you, take a play or two tomorrow. Watch the right tackle, Darian Canarks. This guy's going to play in the National Football League a long time. As I said, he's big. He's fast. He's talented. Here's what else he is. He's experienced. He's played in 40 consecutive games 33 in a row are starts. Look at Kentucky's offensive line tomorrow, by the way, Bart. Every player 
has started the same game so far. We'll see if that holds up tomorrow. But through seven games, they have not had to make a change in their starting lineup on the offensive line. Cohesion is a big deal. Having a guy out at right tackle like Kennard, also a big deal. He's a midseason All-American. And here's what's interesting. We talk about Charles Cross at left tackle for Mississippi State. You and I, we get into pro football focus, and we start diving into analytics. Sort it however you want to. Rank the offensive tackles however you want to. In just about any category that you go through, if it's a positive number, ranked one and two in different orders are Cross and Kennard. These are two big-time guys. Take a minute, glance at that Kentucky right tackle tomorrow. He has put a lot of guys in the dirt this year. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about that unit as a whole in just a minute, but he is no doubt the class of that offensive line for Kentucky. Yeah, and he's a guy who probably could have gone pro a year ago, would have been the top Kentucky offensive lineman taken in the draft if he had gone. They had a guy going the sixth round. But he's a guy who decided to come back, use his extra year to get better. He is really talented. The other guy I want to profile, this is a name I'm scared we're going to hear a lot tomorrow. Number four, Josh Paschal. Oh, yeah. I mean, this guy's this guy's big time. Six foot three. 278 pounds. He is a rush end. You know, they don't list his age, but I'm reasonably sure he came into the league the second to last year of Jackie's time here. I mean, <laughs> he's been there for a while. I don't think he played in those late 90 games, but he was right after them. That's how long he's been around. Now, this is a good guy. You know, it's, it's so easy to want to kind of demonize guys on the opposing team. This is a good guy. He spends a ton of time volunteering. He's, he's an inspiration. You know, this guy's a cancer survivor. He had a melanoma on the bottom of his foot, and he's spent a lot of time with kids, kind of like Kendall Graveman. We talked about how Kendall is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet until he gets a baseball in his hand and crosses the white line. That's Pascal. When he gets on the field, this guy's a monster. He's got 20 quarterback pressure so far this year. He blocked a field goal against Florida that obviously was a huge deal. And I want to go back to something you pointed out earlier, Bart, the importance of missed tackles. Two all season. Wow. He hasn't missed a tackle in five weeks. Yeah. Six if you count the off week. This guy is a big-time defensive end. He's a playmaker. This is one of those guys at defensive end who he can beat you in so many ways. He can sack your quarterback. He can bat balls down. He can even grab one out of the air. He has the potential to have a Will Anderson-type game where he has four sacks. I mean, he's that, he's that type of guy. And you know what, Charlie? He had the biggest play, I thought, of the game last year when we went to Lexington. We're down 7 to nothing and driving down the field. We're at, like, Kentucky's 20-yard line. And, hey, he's versatile, too. He stepped out on a tunnel screen, picked off a pass, and took it back to our two-yard line. So we go from possibly tying the game at seven to down 14 to nothing in a hurry. And then we threw another pick six late in that game. So, I mean, you look back at the game last year, that pick that he had to take it from the 20-yard line of Kentucky all the way down to our two was really the game changer. So he's not just a rush in. He is a versatile guy that has a lot of athletic ability. He's a big-timer. So that's a look at – our two players now, we're down to our one coach. And those two players brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Pleasing down in Florence, Mississippi. They make the best sausage known to man. And so I tell you what, just can't beat Country Pleasing, Country Meat Packers, a night game tomorrow night once again. Plenty of time to tailgate. Tomorrow should be nice on campus. Fire up the grill and put some Country Pleasing Sausage on that grill. Charlie, my Lord, one. you're coming from South Mississippi. You got to just swing in there and get some of those like stuffed pork chops or something, don't you? The, the stuffed pork chops, they have a 
pork tenderloin stuffed with mac and cheese. That is, <laughs> I hadn't seen that. Yeah, it's it's pretty. That ought to be illegal. It's like ridiculous. Yeah, anything they have in the butcher shop, it's a legit. That ought to be one of the things that has to be like on the secret menu. You should have to know somebody to get that. So just tell them Bart sent you, right? Yeah, I mean, in the case, I think it got, they got Wagyu beef. They got the whole beef tenderloin. I mean, they got anything you need. It's not just pork. They've got beef and different things. In it. Man, it's unreal. They'll take as much money as you'll leave for them. <laughs> well, right? It's, it's, great, it's a great place. All right, so my one coach, and I'll be real quick with this, is Eric Wofford. He's the offensive line coach. You know, Kentucky went through a, a bad issue last year with their offensive line, and John Schlarman was a longtime offensive line coach, and he passed away with cancer. And So that, that means you're in year one of an offensive line coach. And he comes from South Carolina, Eric Wofford. Now, what do you know about offensive line coaches in their first year? Usually it's the first year of an overall staff. And one of the hardest places for a team to take new coaching is the offensive line, when you've got to get all those guys in lockstep together. And I think that's one of the – if you talk to people around the Kentucky program, and even though you do have a guy like Kennard on that right side, Kentucky people have talked about their offensive line has not looked terribly in sync the entire season. Offensive line, wide receivers, and then outside of Pascal getting a pass rush. That's what they think kind of their weaknesses are. So how can we exploit the offensive line of Kentucky tomorrow outside of Kennard is going to be a big factor. But I look at their offensive line coach and Eric Wofford. My coach that I want to profile is their defensive coordinator, Brad White. White is extremely popular in Kentucky right now, which you can expect by the way his defense is playing. You Look, you hold opposing offenses to less than 20 points a game in today's football, you've done something. Always interesting to see the path these guys take. He started out as a grad assistant at Wake Forest, makes his way to Murray State, to Air Force, and then he spends from 2012 to 2017 with the Indianapolis Colts. He was a quality control coach, an assistant linebackers coach, then a linebackers coach. And then all of a sudden, without ever having coordinated a defense at any level, he goes from being an outside linebackers coach to making his way to Kentucky, originally as an outside linebackers guy for one year, and then he becomes a defense coordinator after a year. But White is just one of those guys who's got something to him. He is going to play a three-man front defensively. And unlike some teams we see, like an A&M who like to play a four-man and then adjust, look, a 3-3-5, a 3-4, it's what they do. Now, what ought to be the good news for us, we see that defense in practice, but it's always interesting to me to see these NFL guys coming to the college game and having success. A lot of them don't. Brad White, one of the guys who is. In fact, if you think back last week, I was a little bit critical of Vanderbilt because their whole staff was NFL guys. But White, a guy who started in college and has made his way back and has done a really nice job at Kentucky. Do you know what he has that Clark Lee didn't? Well, Clark Lee was a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. But he's got a guy, Mark Stoops, who is a veteran head coach in college. There's a guy. He, he's got somebody that he can lean on. Anybody coming from the NFL, if you've got a veteran head coach who is a defensive guy, you've got a lot to lean on right there. He thinks Stoops. A lot of defense talked at Thanksgiving with that family, so good situation to fall into, but he's made the most of it. Yep, no doubt. That's an interesting family, too. Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, we could go down the rabbit hole there, couldn't we? (sighs) Take another hour. Yeah. So, we've made it to nearly the end. It's time for our two brothers two-minute drill. 
we talked about tomorrow being a great day. One of the things that you will see if you walk through the Cotton District tomorrow, there's going to be a lot of people at Two Brothers smoked meats right there in the heart of the Cotton District, and there's a reason. They got good food, they got beverages, they got a place to set up shop outside, they've got great porches and patios. It's just a great place to go. Two brothers right in the heart of the Cotton District. And they've always got a bunch of different TVs on different games. Not the place you walk into on a football Saturday, and they got just the one game on. It's that crazy game that you can't figure out why why we're watching Baylor and BYU. I mean, they've got eight different TVs and they're on different games. And it's it's a great vibe there. And the food, we go back to it. If you've never had the food at Two Brothers, you will not be disappointed whatsoever. It's absolutely fantastic right there on University Drive. We talked about going and doing a Friday deep dig there. If it wasn't so windy today, it would be a perfect day. We're kind of getting in that range. Well, late October, sitting out on the patio, sitting upstairs on the balcony, watching the crazy folks walk by in the Cotton District on University. We're going to call you out. That will be hopefully the next couple of weeks when we do that. All right, Charlie, so I'll sound the whistle, and I will begin, and we'll jump into our two-minute drill. All right, let's hit it. Jif peanut butter is produced in Lexington, Kentucky. Jif used to be Big Top Peanut Butter, but then Procter & Gamble changed the name and the recipe in 1955. They added molasses and sugar, and now it's owned by the J.M. Smucker Company and Jif, one of the largest suppliers of peanut butter in the world. Right there in Lexington, Kentucky. Derek Abney is the only player in Kentucky school history to have two punt returns for touchdowns in the same game. He did that in a 45-24 win over Mississippi State in 2002. After retiring from football, he began working as a civil engineer and is now a licensed engineer in South Carolina. Based on annual consumption per capita, Pikeville, Kentucky drinks the most Pepsi of anywhere in the United States. Mm, Questionable. And the obesity rate is 33.3%. I'm not pointing my fingers at Pepsi, but... Just reporting the facts. Despite the fact that there were no battles fought in the state of Kentucky, more than half of all Americans killed in action during the War of 1812 were from Kentucky. Andy Jackson, the former tennis coach at Mississippi State and Florida, played tennis at Kentucky. Although he's more closely associated with Illinois, Abraham Lincoln was born in Hodgenville, Kentucky... There's a statue of him right downtown. One of my favorite places on earth, Keeneland Racetrack, is in Lexington, Kentucky. And Keeneland is the world's largest thoroughbred auction house as well. 19 Kentucky Derby winners, 21 Preakness Stake winners, and 18 Belmont Stakes winners have been purchased at the Keeneland sales. Story Musgrove is a doctor, writer, and astronaut. He flew on all five space shuttles, spent over 20 hours outside the craft in space, more impressive to me, 800 parachute freefalls. American singer-songwriter Chris Stapleton was born in Lexington, but he grew up in Staffordsville, Kentucky. He went to Vanderbilt to be an engineer, decided that he wanted to be a singer instead, and so he dropped out. Chris Stapleton did not graduate from Vanderbilt, born in Kentucky, has never danced on a dugout. Senator from Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, is arguably the highest-ranking Republican in the land. And, Bart, let me just speak from the heart when I say this. The Republican Party, if... We're not talking politics. I'll I'll do it again. We're not talking politics. Well... Or basketball. Maybe I'll start my own podcast. In any event, that is another 
Tracks Plus Deep Dig here on a Friday afternoon trying to get you ready for Mississippi State, Kentucky. Bart, I asked you this question earlier in the week. Would it surprise you if we won by three touchdowns? No. Nope. Would it surprise you if we lost by three touchdowns? No. No. I would. What would surprise me is a game where two teams score in the 30s. I think this is going to be – I think both fan bases are going to leave tomorrow saying, boy, that was ugly, and one of them is going to be able to win. I think this is going to be an ugly football game. I think we win. I really do. I think we're better than they are. I think we. I actually think we are better than they are. They're six and one, ranked number twelve in the country. How crazy you say that? And I think we're better than they are. I don't want to say I'm going to be surprised if we lose this game tomorrow, but I think this game really, really looks like a game, and it should be a big game, and it is a big game tomorrow night. But I think we can win it. I'm not saying we should win it. I'm thinking we could win it more than fifty percent. And once again, I'd like to thank our great sponsors, Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Tracks Plus, Can't Beat It, No Doubt, all that great equipment, Country Pleasing Sausage, Two Brothers Smoked Meats, and the Mississippi Beef Council, brought to you by the Mississippi Beef Producers and their checkoff. All right, so that's it. We'll see you back here on Sunday.